Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm a transformational leader and an instigator of joy. I use human design, professional coaching, and intuition to help people relax into their true essence so they can experience more ease, abundance, and joy. If you want to learn more about the work I do and possibly work with me, head to KelseyAbbott.com. And if you're not on my newsletter list yet, get yourself on there. You can do it by getting a free human design chart or getting your free human design love letter to your energy type. That's whether you're a generator, manifesting generator, a manifester, a projector, or a reflector. Do all of that at KelseyAbbott.com. And I encourage you to get on that list because in case you're new here, I'm not on social media. I retired from social media in 2020. You will not find me there ever in the near future. There will be quite a ginormous announcement if I change my mind and decide to go back to social media, but you will not find any updates from me there. You will not find anything there. If you want to connect with me, the best place is actually to just directly send me an email. So you can email me at Kelsey at KelseyAbbott.com, or you could wait until I send out an email and then respond to that email. But who knows when that's going to be? So really your best bet, just send me an email directly. I love connecting with people one-on-one through the magic of the internet. Okay. So today, Today, the day that this episode airs is Thanksgiving in the U.S. So happy Thanksgiving if you're celebrating. And thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you to everyone who is just opening their minds and hearts and letting the wisdom of these guests flow through you. Thank you for being on this personal growth and consciousness up-leveling experience with all of us. By doing that, you are changing the world. You are spreading light by healing yourself and amplifying your own light. Even in itty bitty, teeny tiny baby steps, you are amplifying and elevating the light on this planet. So thank you. On behalf of all beings on this planet, which seems very pretentious of me to say, I thank you. Thank you for working on yourself. Thank you for learning to love yourself. Thank you for maybe challenging yourself, for learning new things. Whatever the Find Your Awesome podcast has brought to you, thank you. Let me just tell you about this week's guest in this conversation. It is so good. Dr. Christy Overstreet is a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, host of the Fix Yourself First podcast, and author of Fix Yourself First, 25 Tips to Stop Ruining Your Relationships. She's also the creator of the Ideal Intimacy Method coaching program to help women get emotional and physical intimacy without sacrificing their needs and relationship survival for men, an online course designed to help men get the connection, communication, and sex in their relationships. As your new BFF sex therapist, her mission is to help you improve your relationships by first focusing on the most important, excuse me, by focusing on the most important relationship you have, which is the one you have with yourself. So you feel empowered to create the life you deserve. She's the founder of the therapy department, a virtual wellness practice that provides counseling, coaching, speaking, and consulting throughout the world. Her 15 plus years of clinical experience have made her well-respected as a real world relationship and LGBTQIA plus healthcare expert. 
This is a really good conversation. Dr. Christie, just the way she talks about inviting people into conversations about different ways of humaning is really beautiful. I think it's really appropriate to have her guidance available to all of us at this time where we may be interacting with people who don't see this, the world the same way we do. So Dr. Christie actually gives us scripts on how to talk to people that we might disagree with. This could be talking to like transphobic people or homophobic people, or it could be talking to people who have different political views with you. Who knows? It's just really helpful. All right. It's time for me to get out of the way and let you enjoy this magical conversation. Thank you once again for listening, for interacting, for being part of my life, for being part of this great consciousness evolution. I love you. You are amazing. You are a miracle. Go forth and be awesome. Christy, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thanks, Kelsey, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here too. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we had so much fun hanging out on your podcast and hanging out before your podcast <laughs> that honestly, I missed you in the whatever two weeks has been since we recorded that. Yeah, we did. That's one thing in the in the show I talked about is we could we could have not even hit record and just kept talking <laughs> or we could have recorded and had all that. So yeah, I'm glad we got to connect on a lot of different levels. You know, me too. This podcasting world is just, you know, my favorite part of it is meeting new people and meeting people that I'm like, you're my person. And I wouldn't have known you yes. if, or like, you know, I'm sure the universe sassily would have made us interact at some point, but it's just like, oh, hi, there you are. <laughs> so, well, one of the things you were talking about before we hit record today is how you've taken back your Mondays. And I think the wisdom in that is so powerful. And let's just start out with, will you please share what you've done and how it's impacted you? Yeah, I, I have for so many years, you know, I love what I do and I'm passionate about the work I do. Mondays just has this really heavy, heavy negative connotation that on Sundays we start getting the Sunday scaries of here comes Monday. Gosh, another week. How, how fast can we get to Friday? Even if something I love what I do, I still have that feeling at times. And so several months ago, probably about in Q1, I decided to change up my Monday so that I wouldn't schedule one-to-one patients, no group coaching. Um, I would not do anything except growth and vision work on my business for myself, my weekly goals that are personal for me. And I would do all of my tracking for myself, tracking for work and use it as a time to just plug in for the week and uh, get really excited about the week and then start Tuesday as doing regular scheduled stuff. But having that, I kind of call it that CEO or that uh, day, day just for me, it's changed a lot of how I saw Mondays to be. And I start the week off in a whole different attitude. Well, I think it's so important because so many of us think that we are, we're here to give and just like, basically when we've got this bucket and when there's even a teeny, teeny, tiny amount in it, okay, we can give that, but we're really supposed to have a full bucket and then give from the overflow. 
And it sounds like your Monday allows you to do that, to fill your bucket up all the way so that for the rest of the week, you're giving your sparkly overflow. Does that feel true to you? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I'm not being taken away from on that day and I'm able to really just feel back up and, and get a plan for the week versus trying to take on the month or the quarter or the year. I really, even though I have different ways of looking and planning and scheduling ahead, just saying, I've just got to look at the next day, the next couple of days and just get through the week and make sure that I'm doing what I need to personally, first of all, to take care of myself, the relationship I have with me, the relationship with my partner and my family, and then my relationship with my professional self, my work, my clients and members that work with me. Mm, that's so powerful. And even just the breaking it down into week by week. I tend to a lot, a lot of times, and I will say throughout this um, dis-ease that I'm going through right now, I've gotten to the point, like, you know, I was so resistant, so resistant in the beginning, like, ah, I want to feel better. Mm-hmm. And then I finally got finally, finally softened into allowing. And in that place, I was like, okay, well, the, you know, this might last 12 weeks. And I'm going to take it week by week. And in fact, I'm going to take it like, I basically take it hour by hour. Like, how do I feel right now? And of course I had to get to the place of allowing to be able to take those tiny chunks. And I think that's, again, something else, like a lot of us are just trying to bite off way more than we can possibly fit in our mouths. Yeah. And just for what you're going through, knowing that you want to get on the other side of it, you want to feel better. And we're such a go, go, go society. Time is just of the essence and we're all time poor and you're trying to, okay, well, I've got this. How's a way to fix this so I can get through it. And sometimes the universe in our bodies say, yeah, no, you're not in control. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. You thought you were, but that is not the case at all. I'm going to do it my speed and you're going to get back in the position you need to, which is trusting yourself, trusting the universe, trusting things are going to happen the way they, they need to happen. And sometimes it takes those things happening to especially physically to help us just slow down and let go of mm-hmm. this preconceived notion that we have got to be in control or that we've got to do this thing that we're supposed to be doing all the time and to get us to really listen to our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I really feel like the universe has been like, Oh, Oh, that's cute. Did you think this was going to be a two week thing? First of all, notice this is the gentle option. You know, this is just like sinuses and a cough. You're, you're okay. And, um, you'll be done when we say you're done. Yeah. It's so cute that you thought it was going to, it's cute that you thought you could be like, okay, I'm done now. No, (laughs) silly human, which reminds me, actually, I just read these words. Are you familiar with Tosha Silver? Yes. Okay. I, I recently felt called to reread Outrageous Openness and I don't know if I have read it once a year, probably more than once a year. But I really feel like I need to read. There are a few books that I need to read at least once a year, if not multiple times a year, just keep rereading them. But let me just share these words. When you're in cycles of quiet and waiting, you catch your breath, knowing the wheel again will turn. You rest because as the right actions get revealed, a lot will arise to be done. You wait for the signs and the timing rather than rip open the cocoon. 
You trust that delays might be welcome. You trust that delays can be good. You trust that delays are all perfect and you stay present just to witness your own birth. Wow. Powerful. So powerful. You don't rip open the cocoon. Mm -hmm. The cocoon opens when it is ready to open. Yeah. So Christy, now that we've already started the conversation, can you tell us who you are and like what you do? <laughs> I don't like to start out with the boring stuff. Not that it's the boring stuff, but like the Find Your Awesome podcast is not here to start like any other podcast we work our way into. By the way, who are you? <laughs> Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I'm a certified sex therapist, clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. So long story short, I spend my days helping people as individuals focus on what they need to change in order to build the relationships they deserve from the inside out with fixing themselves first and whatever it might need to be attuned to while they can see everything around them change for the better. So that's around connection with self, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, um, that self relationship with personal growth. So I do that. And then the other half of my days are spent um, working with healthcare providers, medical behavioral wellness on providing dignity care for LGBTQIA plus specifically transgender non-binary clients. And so I have two parts of my passion and, you know, being able to teach healthcare providers how to give dignity care is so important to me, as well as helping individuals show up and build those relationships they deserve. And uh, I can say it's never the same hour twice. Um, I have the coolest job in the world. I never thought this would be my job or profession. This was not my goal or was not the, the plan I was on. And there again, the universe laughs in our face. When we think we've got it all figured out, everything gets turned upside down. And that's exactly what happened to me. I had a big what, pivot in my life. Yeah. What did you think you were going to do for work? Well, I went to school. Uh, to, I went to biology pre-med. I was going to be emergency medicine physician. And that was the track from when I was uh, about middle school because I wanted to be a paleontologist. And then I always knew I would be a scientist in some way. And um, then went through school, graduated, got into medical school. And after that first year, just something was not clicking in me. I was not making it. I was failing left and right. I just was, I was a hot mess in so many ways, even though that's what I was supposed to be doing. It just, I was fighting it so bad. And um, it was my really supportive parents that said, Hey, you know, we love and care about you. Don't worry about what you're going to feel coming back the embarrassment and the shame and everything else. Just, just come back home, pivot, figure out what you need to do. And we'll help you whatever you need to get through that. So I came back home and took a job with the Department of Family and Children's Services in the town next to mine and grew up in South Georgia. And uh, at that time, I met a therapist for the first time that would drive from out of town to work with the kids that we'd have to remove into foster care. Um, there was no therapy in the towns. It was very small. I didn't even know what therapy was. And then when I met her, something to me just clicked. I was like, wait a minute. Like, I really, I'm passionate about being an investigator and helping these kids that really needed help. And I knew I was supposed to serve people. And so I just thought, oh, this is what I'm doing serving until I figure life out. And when it clicked that I'm supposed to be a therapist, like, oh, this is what you do. You help people that maybe this is how I'm supposed to serve, not through medicine. And jumped into grad school, worked a whole bunch of jobs, got finished, and then found my role as a, a therapist and getting in that work, specializing in, in um, sex therapy. So it's, Again, like this was not my goal. This was not where I was supposed to go. If um, 
if I had, I would not have had the same experiences I had, would not be the person I am. And gosh, I'm just so grateful for failure. I mean, you couldn't have told me that at the time. I mean, like I said, I was, it was a mess. But now looking back at it, I'm so grateful for that, that I just could not shake that feeling. And that's why I'm here today. First of all, huge high fives to your parents. (laughs) I feel like that could have gone very differently. And we hear so many stories of how things like that have gone very differently. Parents are more likely like, well, you got to get your act together. You're going to have to cover all your bills, find a place to live. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Make it happen. But also I find it so interesting because at least my impression and hearing from other emergency, other hearing from emergency medicine physicians, they tend to say like their job is just to save lives. Like they're like, my bedside manner isn't the best. It's just, I'm here to save lives. And to go from that to being a therapist, it's like the polar opposite. It is. I'd have been a horrible doctor. Like there is no doubt. Cause I'd have, I, I would, I know I would have been like, Oh, well, let me spend a little bit more time talking to this family. Let me ask them what social services they need. I would have just been a mess. Um, so I I'm really glad that this found me and I do definitely contribute that to my parents because my goal was, well, if I'm not doing this, I'm just going to go bartend. Cause I bartended up until I got to medical school after college. I'm just going to bartend and I'll catch y'all later. Like, yeah, no, that is not what's going to happen. You come home, you can stay with us, which was horrible to have to go back to South Georgia where I left at 18 to have to go back to in my mid twenties at the time because of my own issues with failure and embarrassment. Um, They said, you will get a job immediately, but you could stay here. And if it wasn't for them and that, like I would not be here at all. Good job. Good job, mom and dad. So you described how you got into the therapy side of things, but getting into the sex therapy, like that's a very niche part of therapy. So what led you in that direction? Well, I was working with so many different individuals and couples that were really struggling to talk about sex. And there's a lot of sex issues coming up. Um, I'd already been working for many years with LGBTQIA+. I started that right as a therapist, working on the clinical end with these individuals that were struggling with addiction and other type of issues because they couldn't be themselves in a society that tries to tell us who we're supposed to be. So with knowing that with these individuals and couples that I was working with, I did not feel like I had enough training because in mental health counseling and a master's degree, we only are required to take one human sexuality class. One, like that's it but we're expected to know and go do all this stuff. So I I knew I need to get a specialization and I found it really easy to talk about sex, which is completely opposite than how I grew up. Totally opposite. Like I'm the last person that you would say, oh yeah, she's a sex therapist from what my town saw of me because the whole conservative small farming town where you hit 18 and you get the heck out of Dodge. Um, was there a so, religious component to your town as well? Oh, it was a hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm grateful for how I was brought up and raised in the church. Grateful for all that helped me figure out who I am. However, this would have much been frowned on, <laughs> but, um, you know, knowing at that time I needed to have some specialty work. And I, by chance at that time I was living in Florida and the state of Florida as mental health counselors, them and I believe it's New York, there's only at this time, only two states out of the whole U.S. that require 
therapists or counselors to be specialized in having a certified sex, uh, having a certification to practice sex therapy. Um, yeah, it's kind of wild. I'm like, whoa, go Florida. What? That's awesome. So what that means is Florida's not typically the leader <laughs> in such enlightened yeah. movements. Oh yeah. I, I was, I was in shock, but that's one of the things as a, as a licensed practitioner that, you know, you can't advertise that you do sex therapy. You can't tell people you do sex therapy unless you're a certified sex therapist. And so I was like, oh, well, no big deal. Let's go make this happen because this is the path I'm supposed to be on. And I started the certification, completed the certification, and then I started the doctorate. So I was like, I need even more. And so I ended up getting my PhD in clinical sexology, which is crazy that that's even an option, but it is. <laughs> um, I worked my butt off, uh, ran a practice full time, went to school in Miami. It was weekends and weekends for years of kind of going back into and getting the certification plus a doctorate. And it really helped me have that clinical consultation, having professors that have been doing this for years. And I, again, I would not have those skills if it wasn't for learning those, but more importantly, those clients along the years that trusted me to go down that journey with them. I learned the most from them. And uh, yeah, so it just, it just kind of happened again, uh, just kind of listening to that calling that was within that I wasn't supposed to do because I had a very big worry. What would my family say? What would the town say? Oh my gosh. First of all, this girl goes off and she's going to come back to the town and be a doctor. That didn't happen. There's a ton of embarrassment with that, but then she's coming back. She's a, a doctor in sex therapy. Like, what is that? Um, so when I was working on all this programming for years, I didn't tell my parents or my in-laws what I was doing. I just said, oh yeah, it's more training and counseling. And oh, it's like relationship training. And I just, I just neglected telling the specialty. And um, I never even told my family, this is what it is. They just kind of found out because <laughs> I, uh, I, I put on, on my Facebook and I put it out there. And I thought, oh my gosh, mom and daddy are on my Facebook. They're just, I don't even care whatever they're going to say. My mom one day, she like, did you put this on Facebook that you like something, some type of intimacy article about like sex? I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. We need to talk about it more. This is an issue that a lot of people have. And so it just kind of started getting more and more. And so she just stopped saying things about it. And she's very proud of me. And, <laughs> and then um, some people would tell my sister, do you know what Christy does? My sister's like, yeah, I actually work for her too. So yeah, I know exactly what he does. Because we're not supposed to have those conversations and we're having them. Mm, oh my goodness. I love this so much. So what I feel like there's likely been a ripple effect in that small town in South Georgia. Has there, have you noticed, have you seen it before? I mean, I know you're not living there right now, but. Uh, I, I would like to think so because I can, I can see the people that follow my podcast. I can see the people on my page. And I'll say it's really cool. I have a family member. Um, she wasn't close, but I've gotten kind of close to her through Facebook, which I never, we just don't do a lot with family. And, um, and she's just comments on all my stuff. I'm so proud of you. I'm like, gosh, I wouldn't have thought that. And I wouldn't have thought that you would read my articles or I heard somebody will say, I'll listen to that podcast on sexual buffet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you listen to that podcast, you're like, you know, the wife of so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah. And like my principal, my ex-principal, I was like, oh, you're, you're reading my book. Oh, wow. So it's, it's cool. It's not a like, oh, they're doing this. It's more of a, oh, you're interested in this topic because 
you know, wouldn't have thought that, but that's my preconceived notions that I bring in with my own stuff about people's thoughts on sex, sexuality, and intimacy. So if I'm having them and I do this all day, how can not, how, how you know, why would I expect anybody else not to have those? And that's mm -hmm. why kind of the goal in this is to give people that opportunity to really ask questions, learn, and really just show up as themselves without judgment. It sounds like you're giving people permission to, whether it's finally admit to themselves that they're interested in this topic. And I mean, we all are, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Like it's part of being a human It's part of being a being that's part of living on this planet. It is. And sex has such a, it's such a taboo topic. Of course, from the religious standpoint is you, you don't talk about it. You're not supposed to have it until you get married. And then you definitely don't talk about it with anything with anybody. And then you only have sex in order to procreate. And so for me, I couldn't have gone more opposite of that. <laughs> and I'm like, if I'd have been waiting for marriage to have sex, I'd, and I'm not married, but I've been with my partner, you know, next spring will be 14 years, I'd be in big trouble. So it's those preconceived messages that we have about sex being a, such a taboo topic that it brings so much shame to individuals. And if I do what you just said with giving permission and really normalizing it, that's such a gift someone can have. And so yeah. that's why I'm passionate about having these conversations. Mm. So you're working with your one-on-one -on -one clients and changing their lives. You're changing the lives of trans and, and non-binary people with their interactions with their health professionals. And then you're like kind of surreptitiously changing the lives of all of these people who are just like, Oh yeah, I want it. I mean, I can talk about sex or I can listen about sex. Maybe that's more appropriate. Have you, I, and I haven't yet watched Gwyneth Paltrow's the goop lab sex. I don't know if that's the right name. Have you seen it? I've heard it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. All right. I've been on the, I've been on a bit of a, a TV limitation, cutting the hours down a little bit because I have some things coming up, but that is on my watch list. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they say because I'm very skeptical because of what I, what I do. And so it'll be really interesting to watch that. I'm excited. Yeah. I really want to know what you think about it. I mean, what is, let's start with what is sexology? Well, you can think of it as the study of all things sexual whether it's sexuality, whether it's your sexual connection with yourself, your sexual connection with other people, and just what sex means to you as an individual and how it plays out in relationships, if it does, if you do have relationships. And then what, what does a sex therapist do? Well, if I'm working one-to-one -one with couples or with individuals, I'm really kind of showing up to where that person's at or that couple's at saying, all right, what's going on? And my goal is to hear what they're saying, but then to look underneath the surface. Because what happens is so many people show up with issues with sex individually or in a couple. And what I find is almost all the time, and it's not about the actual sex. It's about issues with trust. It's a root cause issue was lack of trust in self, lack of trust in one another. And when I talk about trust, I'm talking about just the overall sense of not getting hurt, feeling emotional security, feeling safe. It, it doesn't mean someone's stepping out of a relationship. And so what I find is that trust and intimacy, and I see intimacy as meaning connection, 
that trust and intimacy are in tandem. So if someone's intimacy or physical intimacy is down, therefore their trust is down. And our trust fluctuates throughout the day, up and down, up and down, depending on what we say, what we think, how we feel, what's said to us, what's acted towards us. And when couples start looking at, wait a minute, maybe there is an issue with trust because the intimacy is low. We can work on that root cause issue of changing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Therefore, we're going to absolutely increase physical intimacy along with the other 11 types of intimacy. And so just, you know, hanging out, doing that most of the day with individuals and couples. Okay. You just blew my mind because in human design, gate six, it's in the solar plexus. This is just for all the human design nerds out there. It's in the solar plexus, which is the emotional center. I have this gate. It's the gate of trust and intimacy. And it acts like, uh, they describe it as acting like a diaphragm. It allows like either what, what can come into your body and what can come out of your body because it's a, an emotional gate. It does fluctuate with the emotional wave that goes through our bodies all day, every day. So I love that human design actually does align with real science. Absolutely. Also it, talk, absolutely. talk about please, like how our trust fluctuates throughout the day. What is, what does that look like? How do we, how do we become aware of it? Well, it, you start out by kind of seeing that trust might not mean exactly what you think it is. And it's something through what I call the trust method that I created, that if you can take this framework of defining trust and making sure you, or if you're in a couple and work on this together, you define what trust means to both of you. So we forget the old, the trust just means someone's cheating more of an emotional security, say that um, when you say something, you're not going to get made fun of or if you are having sex and some funny little sound happens, the other person not be like, what's wrong with you? And be judgmental. But you've just got this emotional safety in different areas, not just sex, but just being together as an individual. And then we look at trust on this scale. And I say trust is on a scale of one to 10. If you're in a relationship, okay, and 10 is the higher end where you won't trust to be at, but doesn't have to stay at 10 because that's like a really great space that no one can stay at all the time. And it can go as low as one, being the lower end. So what happens when my partner says something to me, for an example, that hurts my feelings or that says a little rough around the edge is it might not even be about me. But if I hear that, I'm like, oh, okay. So my trust in him goes down, maybe goes down to like a four. And then later on, he comes along and he does something really sweet for me that uh, didn't ask to be done. My trust is going to go back up to a seven. So depending on his actions and behaviors, I interpret those to be or mean something. Therefore, my trust goes up or down throughout the day. Our goal is to stay somewhere along, you know, six, seven above more days than not. And I say more days than not because we don't do everything all or nothing. We know those absolutes don't exist. So um, same thing for him. His trust levels in me are going to move up or down, fluctuating on what's happening. Now, zero is not an option because if you're at a zero, it means that relationship's no longer together. Okay. so. Because a lot of times I'll have a, um, a, in a couple session or in one of the programs where I work with couples, one of them will say, well, I don't trust him at all. I, or I have no trust in her. I'm like, wait a minute, you're still with her. Therefore, you have at least a one. Now, it's not high as it needs to be what I'm hearing you say that you want it higher, but it's definitely not at a zero. So just taking that off the table, I've removed that absolutes from how maybe that preconceived notion of how they have seen trust. Um, so they can now scale it. So now we've got first the definition of trust for the individuals or the couple. Second is the scale, the fact that it does scale. 
And the third goes to what we were touching on, which is the connection of intimacy and trust. So my partner says something, my connection or my trust in him might go down. Therefore, my intimacy with him will go down. Now, we've got 12 types of intimacy. Right? I don't go through all of them, but one is obviously physical intimacy. That's when you have a physical touch. There's crisis intimacy, that connecting during crisis, communication intimacy, one of my favorite, how we communicate and very connectedness of communicating. Spiritual intimacy, I know you're a fan of recreational intimacy, going and having fun and connecting through fun activities that you both enjoy. So what happens is we've got the connection of intimacy and trust going up and down that scale. So working with a couple, I may say, all right, well, today, where's your trust level at? Someone say, oh, it's at a four. And the other person might say, well, it's at an eight. And I'm like, okay, where's the gap? What's happening? Because y'all are disconnected. What 12 types of intimacy do, we, do you want more of or do you want less of in order to get this connection back? Now, when I said earlier that couples that come to work you know, with me in some way or in one of the programs, that it's not often about sex because we have to have an emotional intimacy being on the high end to connect with that trust in order to really connect through sex for many of us, not all of us, but for most of us. But when we fix trust, the physical intimacy improves because the emotional intimacy improves. That doesn't mean I don't have some individuals or couples I work with that have painful sex or that are definitely having an issue related to hormones with sex or post baby pain that might be happening or different things happening for individuals that's specifically about sex, but majority are issues with sex going around that trust and issues with that. So mm. I just gave you a lot in that way. But if we take those areas to the trust method, you definitely can improve those trust in your relationships. And then you also mentioned trust in ourselves. So how does trust in ourselves fluctuate? Well, when it, it all starts with our inner critic, that means that little voice or that chatter in our head that tells us exactly how we're not doing what we need to be doing or that negative self-talk. So it starts there. If we're having a lot of negative messages that we're saying about ourselves, it doesn't matter if it come from maybe parents or a past partner or somebody at work that said something negative about you or a friend. If you're repeating those and putting those on repeat in your head, you're going to second guess yourself if that's what you're doing more days and not with that negative self-talk. So what we have to do is say, what's going on with this lack of trust in myself? Well, what thoughts am I having? So we break down and I say, you got to write these down. You cannot do these in your head because you're already in your head. And for me, that's a really messy place. So I take this and I write down those thoughts that I'm telling myself. When I write them out, I'm able to then challenge them and say, wait a minute, this is a little irrational. Or this is not really accurate. However, I'm really beating myself up about it when maybe if this was my friend or maybe even an enemy, I wouldn't beat them up quite as hard as I'm doing myself. And, and then when I've kind of changed that, Neg that self-talk to be a little bit more positive, I'm going to gain a little bit more trust in myself. The other thing we can do to improve trust in ourselves is look at the evidence that we actually have. What have I done that's done really well? No matter how small it is, what have I done? Did I reach out to a friend that was in need? Did I have a friend that called me that I made time to talk to him? Those are all evidence that we are good people, that we can do these hard things that happen in our life and that we do show up for other people. So questioning this evidence that, um, that we, we don't have any right to trust ourselves because we make so many bad decisions or we make so many mistakes. That's just not true more times than not. So doing that and looking at evidence, we can start saying, wait a minute, maybe I can trust myself maybe at a five or before I thought I was at a two or three. Maybe I can work to trust myself at maybe a seven or eight. And then if I do something where it's a mistake, I'm like, dang it, I did the wrong thing. I might fall out of a three, but then I'm like, wait a minute, 
have my time, grieve over that mistake, handle it, give myself permission as much time as I need to feel whatever about it, and then pivot and move forward and work my way back up that scale. Mm. This is so good. And it's so interesting to me thinking of that scale, that scale's pretty big. One to 10 is pretty big. And I don't think we're usually like, even the people who are, they've been in therapy, they've done the work, maybe they transformed their inner critic. They know exactly what their inner critic is saying to them all the, all the time. I think, I know for me, I think my scale was probably like one to three or, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was definitely more compressed than that. So to think about the nuances that come up when you spread that out and you're like, oh, actually, like maybe that's a seven and a half, not an eight. And mm, I just imagine there's so much gold in there. Well, and what it does is it, it allows us to give ourselves grace because when we give ourselves grace, we give ourselves space to not have to be perfect or not to beat ourselves into the ground or to have to treat ourselves like a jerk or whatever we're doing uh, when we make mistakes. I know, I'm not even kidding, literally on the daily, I'll do something that's a mistake. Now, the size of my mistake is different depending on the situation, but I mess up all the time. And if I took myself as seriously, if I was as hard on myself as I used to be, I wouldn't be able, you know, to pick myself up off the ground, but I give myself grace to say, I'm not expecting perfection. I'm just trying to keep progress going forward and getting something done is better than it not getting done. And progress is what I'm after because I'm in this thing life, I hope for a very long time. So if I don't give myself grace and give myself that wide variety of a scale, I'm boxing myself in to set myself up to fail and be really unrealistic with myself. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the most powerful things I learned in coaching school is that there are no mistakes because when does something become a mistake when we're looking back at it and judging it and without that judgment, it's just a thing. It's just life that happens. So, um, I tend to be like, whoops. And I don't even, I don't even the words mistake and failure no longer resonate with me. And, and so when people do mention like, what have your failures been? I'm always a little jarred. I'm like, Oh, right. That's a human word. Um, <laughs> and I have to go back and dig it. Cause there's plenty of things, plenty of things we can put in that category. Mm. But this, this is also interesting and enlightening. Okay. Would you mind telling us the 12 types of intimacy? I'm really curious about this. Sure. I'll try to run through those and see if I forget any. Okay. Um, I might have pulled it up to All right. I'll, I'll try and count on my finger. <laughs> Wonderful. We have communication intimacy. We have, we have recreational intimacy, aesthetic intimacy, which is enjoying and connecting through things of beauty, whatever that might be for you and your couple. Um, spiritual intimacy, crisis intimacy, that's coming together during crisis, obviously chore intimacy, um, emotional intimacy, that's a given, physical intimacy. It's a great test of remembering all these off the top of my head. No, 12 is a big number. The human brain is not <laughs> built to remember 12 things all at once. We're supposed to remember like four things at a time, I think. Right, right. Um, I, I think I said recreational intimacy. You did. I got that one down. Um, let's see. I feel like there's a big one. Um, hmm. 
going through my head, going through my head. Um, intellectual intimacy, as in sharing the ideas and desires and things intellectually. And I didn't say, well, work and chore intimacy. Oh, <laughs> commitment intimacy. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's a big one, right? Connecting through a commitment. Um, how many we got so far? That's 10. Okay. So we got two Cre- more. Creative intimacy, doing things that you create and connect through. And uh, another one, conflict intimacy. Mm. You have conflict and then you deal with it and connect through that conflict. What's the difference between conflict and crisis? Um, crisis is standing together when there's a crisis that happens, maybe even to you or crisis that happens versus conflict is you're getting, not that, you know, a crisis can't be a conflict and conflict can't be a crisis, but conflict is like the day-to-day, like you're getting, you've got different ideas about something versus something happening to you or something happening in the world around you. Mm. So it feels like we could be feeling intimacy with our partners in like three of those. 12 areas on one day and feel completely trusting and intimate, like have a score of 10. And we could probably also feel it, like feel intimacy in all 12, but have it down to the three. Well, think, yes. And and think about it this way. Not every single couple is going to want or desire all 12 because it's not a check. When I say it's 12 intimacy checklist, it's not that we have to check all those off because Look, um, aesthetic intimacy might not be super important, you know, to some couples or intellectual intimacy or different things, but crisis intimacy. So I don't want it's anyone listening to think, oh, I've only got two of those, um, but that's all I really care about. Does that mean it's lower? No, it's really what you and your, your partner feels important to you. So one of my approaches that I do with um, individuals, whether it's in sessions or in programs, is going through and identifying which one's does partner number one want and desire? Which ones does partner number two want and desire? And then we do a checklist of which ones do both desire? Because that's going to align. If both of you want communication intimacy, both of you want physical intimacy, oh, that's great. Then we go, all right, what's our plan? What are both of you willing and wanting to do that you know you could do today to improve crisis intimacy? And what are both of you wanting to bring to the table? Because we got to collaborate, both people showing up to improve physical intimacy, as well as what might be barriers that are getting in the way. So just the work, it's not like you're trying to get to some end point of, okay, check it off. We've got um, great crisis intimacy. It's more of a, hey, you know what? On that scale, our intimacy as a whole, and remember intimacy is just connection. Our intimacy as a whole is kind of trending, staying like at a six or seven and that works for us. So so everybody's different. So intimacy is just connection. could this, everything you're saying, does it have to revolve around romantic partnerships or do we also talk about friendships and family relationships and business partnerships? Yeah. I mean, it's open to however you want or need it to be in order to see this idea of intimacy. Cause I say intimacy as the, as the idea of connection, which is why we can have crisis intimacy. It's got nothing to do with relationships. It might be crisis intimacy when you, you and a sibling deal with the death of a parent or something tragic that happens or just going through a really hard time and one of you lose your job and you come together and talk about it. So it could be in those different dynamics as well. Um, And it really just reminds us that we're all wanting to be connected. And when there's a better connection, there's going to be better trust. As you were saying, physical intimacy, I was reminded of the love languages 
How do you, do you buy into that? Or is that like, is that legit in terms of your practice? How does that work? Yeah, I, I believe it is. I do um, use that at times and kind of come from that approach of um, my biggest focus with the five love languages how is how you're giving really how you want to get back versus how the other partner wants to receive. So that's what we find a lot of times you may have, let's just give a really simple example, uh, man and woman to make it simple in our relationship and the man's like wanting physical attention and physical or physical touch. So he's going to his woman's life and he's giving her hug, then his hand slips down and wants to grab her bottom or give her extra squeeze or say, Hey, let's go do something. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm just not like there. And she's maybe wanting to talk about something. Maybe she's wanting some words of affirmation or to hear some really kind words from him. So she tells him, hey, I really appreciate you showing up and doing this. And I really appreciate it when you do this or that. And he's, he's over there going, okay, I don't need all the words, but I need physical. And she's like, I don't need all the physical, but I need some words. And so we have to figure out how are you giving? How are you getting? How are you wanting to receive? And then, and then how is that aligning or not aligning? So from that aspect, absolutely. Those are helpful for people to identify and to really question if that's working or not. Yeah, absolutely. I know it. It's been super, super eye-opening in a lot of my relationships, not just with my partner, but even recognizing my dad is definitely an acts of service mm-hmm. person. He would, when I would visit them, he'd wash my car. No. Didn't really (laughs) know my car needed washing. It's not something that I prioritize until the day I recognize he's saying, I love you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Completely blew my mind. Yes. Okay. So Christy, with all your time and experience in this, what are the things that you want to shout from the rooftops? Like that you want everybody, every human on this planet to know, understand, or embody? The biggest is that you can't wait for someone you're in a relationship with. Now that can be a romantic relationship. It can be a family relationship, a friendship, whatever kind of relationship you see it to be. You can't wait for them to change, to see things, to get better in that dynamic you because you will continue to have to wait you're hanging up your life and put it on the shelf while you're waiting for somebody else to change that you have to go ahead and assume that they're never going to change i tell people do not think someone's going to change nothing changes you think when you get married and have a kid none of that happens we we don't go in that's all a hopeful wishful thinking or magical thinking right and that's just not the case but the good news is i want everyone to say what can i do to be my healthiest self and what I bring to the table in this relationship dynamic, what can I do a little bit better, different, healthy for me? And then that's going to be the primary because I'm healthy and I feel good doing it, even though it's a hard thing to do. Then the other person benefits from it as well. And then you're going to see the best chance of change from them because you're modeling, doing, showing up to give the best chance for them to do something different. It will be the only way you'll see change in them. And it's really empowering because you're not sitting there on the bench waiting. You're being the change. But that also brings about, you might be changing for the better. You get super healthy. You're living your life on your life's terms. And you're trying to design this relationship that you know you deserve as a human. And they don't pivot. And then they still don't pivot. And then they still don't pivot. And they still don't pivot. And that's so scary because that means it's just not going to work. So now you got a healthy person and then an unhealthy person that's not making changes. Therefore, you have to 
decide, do I want to keep this toxic person in my life? Do I need to go ahead and cut ties and then use those boundaries to do that? And it's really scary, the unknown of not having that friend, that family, that loved one in your life. But it's a lot worse having them and you staying toxic and then you not living your life to your fullest. You living in resentment, anger, frustration, pain, and you're just trying to be the nice person. That will get you nowhere except more pain, frustration, and resentment. So knowing that if you go to the, you know, the fix yourself first mentality, that what do I need to do for me without waiting on that other person to change? I've got to be the change to feel better. It is so empowering that we have literally that much power to shift all that stuff around us when we look at ourselves. And if we focus on fixing ourselves first, everything will absolutely change around us. And some of those changes is going to cause us to have to pivot, which is scary as heck. However, I'd rather go through a little bit of scary than a lifetime of resentment, pain, and unhealthiness. Absolutely. That was so well said. And I feel like that is such a thing. I don't, I don't know a better word for it right now, but that is such a thing in, in this like personal growth territory where people, I, I know actually in coaching school, quite a few relationships ended because one partner grew and the other didn't. And that's something that people will say, like, I don't want to, I don't want to fix myself first because then I'll lose that relationship. But you're saying, it sounds like you're saying it's worth it and you're worth it. Yes, because the, the decision to not act is a decision within itself. So, and there's no judgment on that if you decide not to act. Just know you're probably going to get more of the same. And it might be another point in your time of your life where you might be at a place to make a different decision then. Um, and yeah, like everyone's different. And not everybody's supposed to change all the time, meaning everyone's got to go along their their path of when they're supposed to make some of these changes, because it'd be super easy for me as a therapist to just say, oh, well, you need to change. You need to do this and you'll get better. And that's not really fair either, because even though I know that person pretty intimately and working with them on their growth journey, I still can't, first of all, tell someone what they need to go do, because then I'm not giving them that opportunity to come up with that decision themselves. You know, my goal is as that kind of that ride or die to keep cheering them on, to push them, to ask them the questions, to help them align their life with what they have the vision for in their head and give them the tools in order to make it happen, not to tell them what to do. So everyone's got their own journey and wherever, as anyone listening right now is on their path, it's just, it's just where you are right now. You decide how fast, how slow the direction, um, the height, like you get to have all the decisions in your hands. And I think often with life being as crazy and hectic as it is, we often forget that it really is hundred percent in our control in the sense of the decisions that we make, if we listen to that inner voice inside us and let that guide us. Mm, absolutely. Thank you. I want to pivot a bit to talk about your work with the transgender and non-binary community and how you are improving healthcare for them. Can you just talk a little bit about your work, please? Sure. It started out when I first started as a therapist, I was working at a um, dual diagnosis drug and alcohol rehab facility. And at that time, I was seeing so many LGBTQIA plus individuals that were really struggling to get sober because there was different issues they were dealing with that people that were not in the LGBTQIA plus group did not have to even factor. The stigma, the very real fear of violence, the health inequity and the different issues they were having. And 
right there in the beginning, I had the opportunity to jump into that group and um, build a program so that they could really get their recovery needs met that were different than others. And at that time, working with not just with the individuals, but then also the wellness team, the doctors and nurses, different people I was working with, directors, like they did not, they're like, wait a minute, I don't understand. What do you need? Mean they have some different needs. Uh, we're not really equipped for that. So then I started doing the training. Back in the day, we called it sensitivity training. Um, and so I did a lot of that. And, and just as I grew, as my skills grown, as more and more individuals let me go along the journey with them side by side, it's when I started developing the program. I knew at that time, 15 plus years ago, that I wanted to create a program because there was nothing out there. And as you know, I've worked with thousands, thousands of LGBTQIA plus people that let me go through the journey with them. And so at that time, I was I knew that I needed some type of way that providers could, and I say providers, it might be medical, it might be behavioral health therapists, it could be wellness providers, speech therapists, coaches, physical therapists, anyone that worked with individuals in the health area um, to give this dignity care. Because when we give dignity, it's respect, acceptance, security, saying that you're not going to be judged, you're going to get your needs met, and I'm not um, going to, I'm not going to hurt you in any way as a provider. And so then I created the Transgender Healthcare Dignity Model five years ago now. And what it is, is a training program that providers can take. And we cover the eight areas of the Dignity Model, which is, you know, awareness, fears, intake, transition, barriers, and a couple of others in there. And individuals can have the opportunity to be certified as Dignity Model Certified Providers, DMCPs. And this credential really shows the world, hey, I know what I'm talking about, not just have I taken the Dignity Model training, I also have you know, Dr. Christie there for support and consultations along the way through that certification. So it was the, the, the best way that I could find to have the biggest impact for providers because every time a provider, it doesn't matter if this is a front desk receptionist or if it's a doctor, regardless of the, the power dynamic that might be happening for the individual's role, they get this information and they go positively touch someone's life. Or when they hear that other staff say something that's transphobic or they hear that person in the waiting room that says something negative, they are, they're equipped to speak up in a way that's kind, loving, but also very supportive. And doing that is going to change more people than taking um, and trying to teach one-to-one -one people, like giving the online course aspect or doing a large live training. I feel like we can have more impact because then they go back and more LGBTQIA plus clients are able to get their needs met in a way that they feel really safe and secure. Mm. It sounds so powerful and obviously so necessary. And the thing that it kind of made me sweat almost was the, the, your example of someone in the waiting room, making a comment, what would you recommend that the doctor do in that situation? Sure. Well, definitely that would probably, if that happened in a doctor or, or a reception, anyone was near going ahead and helping if that individual is a transgender individual that's being called back and, and bringing them back and helping them feel safe, secure and apologize. And, Hey, I'm sorry that happened. That's not okay. That's not what we you know, want to have happen here. And then taking the individual client and you can always call them up to the window and say, I just want to see if everything's okay. You made a really negative remark about somebody being human. Um, we treat everyone regardless of their gender identity, gender expression, sexual identity, race, ethnicity, background. So just, just be aware of that. 
not in a you can't say that type thing because we also which is what i learned a long time ago is i came in full blazing horns out ready to take on anyone that said anything negative and then that caused me to lock horns with so many individuals and i could not help shift their perspective so when i started coming from this place of love and just making this assumption that maybe they've never met a transgender individual maybe they've never had an lgbtqia plus loved one in their lives or maybe they just haven't had the opportunity to learn that these individuals are just human and do not deserve to be treated negatively no one does and i've come in from that place of love but very form, form support and letting saying what questions do you have um, you, I know you've known someone that's transgender or non-binary, but you might not know it whether you've worked with them or seen them and just know that these are humans just like everybody else and they're not to be treated differently in, in a negative way. So when I started coming to this place of love and sharing education versus me trying to take everybody on, tell them how wrong they were, imagine that, right? There's less resistance. Everyone can imagine what would happen if their loved one came up or came out to them and really humanizing a bit more is, has been helpful in that transition. Holy moly. I just feel like though, <clears throat> excuse me, like the, the script essentially that you just shared with us. I mean, humans, did you hear that? <laughs> like we're not just talking about LGBTQIA plus people, by the way, I love that your accent. I, I really feel like people who speak slower can say that more smoothly than I can, but because I talk so fast, I always have to pause. Like my, my brain gets ahead of my mouth, <laughs> um, but just the, to, to respond with love and to say, Hey, is everything okay? We treat all humans here. Is that going to be a problem? Christy, I feel like that is the, those are the words that all humans need to hear right now. And they need to hear that on social media or so I've heard, I I'm not there, but they need to hear it on social media. They need to hear it on like news outlets and podcasts and day-to-day -day, everything. Thank you. Well, thank you for asking about it. Cause it's really important. I know there's someone listening right now that will take this and share this with someone else. And that person will share it with someone else. And that's how we make change one, you know, one conversation at a time or many conversations at a time when possible. But yeah, I mean, that's a way you can approach because and depending on when this comes out, I mean, there's always holidays and people, you know, have transphobic, homophobic, biphobic family members. And regardless of your sexual or gender identity or romantic identity, you will hear that family member say something really negative. And the way we make a difference, say, hey, I, I heard you say that. Um, can I share something with you? Oh, yeah. What do you mean? Well, actually, that's not true. Kids at five years old don't transition to have surgery. I know you may not know that, but I'm just sharing it with you because I heard you say it. And I, you know, I like to make sure that I'm sharing my part too of, of the truth when I, when I don't hear it. I just want to share that with you. So it's letting people know without having to come off in a way that's um, aggressive because this is, and I know people, different people and different allies differ with this, but it doesn't have to be politics. It can be humans. And I say that because so many people want to politicize things in a negative way. And if we just say, would you treat another human like this? Other people are like, oh, no, it does, this is about being human and it's dignity. Every one of us deserve dignity. And when we're transphobic, homophobic, biphobic or negative or continue to um, have this power dynamic struggle that providers have with, with, this, with this population, we're not treating with dignity. And um, every time you speak up, 
small or large ways, you, I guarantee you make a difference and you may not ever know it, but someone will go have a conversation with someone else or someone will look something up online and that's how change happens. Yes. And this episode will come out before the holidays, like the, the big holidays. Um, so just for, for a minute, like what, what can we do? How, I actually don't know if the word do is correct or if it's how can we be around potential family members who are homophobic, biphobic, transphobic, So, and I know it depends on your dynamic. It depends on how safe you feel around this family member and how safe you feel about speaking up because I can't say everybody needs to speak up because I know some people don't feel like they have a voice or they feel like they may be suffer a trauma or abuse for speaking up. So you do what you need to do. However, if you find yourself in a situation where you hear that um, biphobic or homophobic remark or transphobic remark, it's okay to say, actually, you know, you said that and that's, that's a little offensive. Like that threw me off. I I didn't like hearing that a whole lot because that's not actually true. Can can I share with you something I read recently, or I have this friend and this is who they're a transgender male and that's not their experience at all. And I'm open to sharing some with you if you want. So you want to invite people into a conversation versus cramming it down their throats. I tried that too. Didn't work. Um, so when I say, Hey, do you want to, can I share something with you? Most people are like, yeah, what, like what's going on? Or if you say, I've got some thoughts, if you want to hear them, you're, you're like gaining permission to walk through the gate of sharing information and keeping your horns in and just kind of coming from this place of love. And, and I like to say, given the benefit of doubt that it's just that they don't know any different and there might even be fear and we fear what we don't understand. So it took me a long time to just kind of make an assumption that most people that are that way have fear and and it's okay. We all have fear in different ways and their fear may be whatever they may think might be going on in their head or situation. So if I can just discount that fear by saying, Hey, maybe you don't know that Um, actually, yeah, people in their seventies can actually transition and people just want to live their life on their life's terms. They're not trying to um, kind of intrude on you. They just want to be happy from what I've seen or what I've heard or what I experienced or what I've read about. However, language feels good for you. There's no wrong way to do it. It's just you, you finding what feels comfortable in that conversation. And you don't have to educate everybody. You don't have to speak up every time. You don't have to like do anything you don't want to, but I guarantee you around the holidays, because more people are around one another, you'll find an opportunity to speak up or speak out. That is so helpful. Thank you so much. And I think it's really interesting how you reminded us that we can invite people (laughs) instead of cramming it down their throat. And again, for the human design nerds listening, most gates of the 64 gates that we have, the 64 golden nuggets that our soul specifically picked out for us, we don't all have all 64, but so many of them are projected meaning we need to be invited to share them. Like you see something, you see what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's not going to go well if you just go ahead and share it with somebody. But if they say, hey, do you think this is going to work? Then they will receive your wisdom. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really powerful when we just change how we show up. It doesn't mean we got to do it perfect every time, but if more times than not, we can do that, we will get more of our needs met. And it's the only way we're going to get our needs met. And whatever that need might be, it could be very different than the person next to you. But if you don't invite someone in to be able to share your thoughts, 
you're you're not going to be heard the way maybe you need to. Yeah. Christy, you are such a gift. Thank you so much for all of the wisdom and guidance and light that you have shared in this conversation. Is there anything we're missing? Um, no, not that I know of. It's just the biggest thing for people to remember is that wherever you're at right now isn't forever. And wherever you're at in your journey doesn't mean it's going to be like this for the rest of your life. You have so much more power than you realize, and you don't have to be working on it 24 seven, take time for growth, give yourself permission and grace to slow down as much as you need and don't stack yourself against what society tells you you should be doing in a sense with your time and your efforts. So I ask if there's anything we're missing and you just dropped this <laughs> beautiful wisdom bomb. Thank you so much. How can people find you out there in the world? How can they work with you? Um, all, the, all the things, listen to your podcast. Sure. You can kind of go to the hubs at drchristieoverstreet.com and it's K-R-I-S-T-I-E overstreet, just as it sounds.com. And you can get access to the podcast, a couple of the programs that I have, I have the ideal intimacy method, as well as relationship survival, and a lot of free resources there. And um, also, if you're on social media, Christy underscore Overstreet on Instagram, you can shoot me a DM and let me know what resonated with you. Or if you're having any questions, I'm happy to help out any way I can. And what's the name of your podcast? Fix Yourself First. So that's available on the website and pretty much wherever you're listening to podcasts. And do you have a new group for men? Yeah. Yeah. We've, we're doing a relationship survival course for men. So I've done a lot of work through the years with the ideal intimacy method, a group coaching for women to get physical and emotional intimacy needs met. And out of that has birthed the need for men to have specific knowledge about how they are showing up in relationships and getting their physical connection and communication needs met, as well as some sex ed in there for men to better understand, especially if you have a female partner, bodies, how the mind works when it comes to sex and intimacy. So yeah, that just came out, of course. Um, so if you've got a guy in your life that you think could use some help, it's, it's one that's available for them. Mm, thank you so much for doing the work you do in this world. I'm so glad you didn't become an emergency physician. <laughs> Me too. It just would not be as fun. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Well, I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelsey, for having me. It's such a pleasure. And I'm so grateful for the universe for bringing us together. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Find Your Awesome podcast. If it resonated with you, or you think there's anyone who just has to hear it, please share it with them. Please share it on your social media, text it to people, share it however you want. And if it lights you up to do so, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the Find Your Awesome podcast a five-star rating and an amazing review. Thank you so much. Remember, you can find Dr. Christy Overstreet at drchristyoverstreet.com and you can find me at kelseyabbott.com. I love you. Happy Thanksgiving and go forth and be awesome.